0: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial, Steve Peasley, President, KPP Financial. Independent Thinking, Shared Success. And now today's podcast.
1: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, July 9th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk, and you know, markets are interesting. A lot of gyrations going on and a lot of unpredictability uh, in this market. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the cross currents that we have going on right now, right? Massive stimulus coming out of governments and central banks, but also massive effects on the economy coming from the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And so it, it makes for... An interesting market, uh, a lot of opportunities, but a lot of pitfalls as well. And our goal here each and every day is to help you navigate whatever market it is. You know, whatever uh, we'll get past this one day and it'll be a different type of market. But for now, this is uh, something that we're all going to have to deal with. Now, what I want to touch on at the start of the show is really about. Inflation, uh, and I think there was a very good example of what we're seeing in the economy. You know, this, we're starting to see the effects, starting to get more data on now that we've reopened for a few months and businesses are adjusting to the new reality. What does that look like from a business perspective? Uh, different areas of the economy as well are affect, affected differently. And I'm seeing some things more anecdotally uh, when I venture out. But what was interesting to me was the report from Shake Shack. They announced earnings and sales were down 49%. 49%. However, traffic volume was down 60%. So if volume was down 60%, you you would think, well, then how is revenue only down 49%? Well, they increased their prices 11.1%. So what you're seeing here is that these service-type companies, these food service companies, are having to add an extra layer of protection, disinfecting protocols that are needed to be taken, maybe additional employees. I've seen uh, disinfectant crews at buildings in my office building. I saw it today. A woman had a shirt on, and in the back it said "disinfectant crew." I think it said so. They're needing to hire more employees to abide by the guidelines and the protocols. And then you have supply chain disruptions, obviously. You now have a weaker dollar. I went and got... I think it... What did I get? I got a one scoop of gelato. And uh, before the pandemic, I probably like four, fifty, five bucks. 5 It was $7.00. And... So uh, this is, we're, we're, we're seeing how the economy is evolving. And we're in the early days, but I think it's, it's not going to change anytime soon. And surveys are saying that when it comes to hiring workers, about a third say that when they reopen, they're going to reopen with less workers. A third say they will reopen with the same amount of workers. And a third say they will reopen with more workers. So while we're having a deflationary shock in the economy right now, I'm definitely seeing signs of inflation picking up. And you can see it with in the markets as well. The break-even rates on treasuries tips treasury inflation protected securities are going higher so while february march was a big deflationary shock it's really been inflationary ever since so i thought that was those 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 two that survey as well as shake shack's earnings were a very good example of how this new economy is evolving And how you have to understand what that means both on a micro level with individual companies, but also on a macro level. How this affects households and jobs and profitability across the board, but also different sectors. No, I'm Justin Klein, and here on Invest Talk, and at my company KPP Financial, we're based in Irvine, California. We operate with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. See, we are different from other investment advisors. Why? Because we ded- are dedicated to unbiased guidance, and we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So now that I've set things up for today, I'm ready to call, ready for to take your calls at 888 chart 8992 4278 And if you want to set up a time to meet with myself or Steve, we are now doing that via Skype, telephone, Jive meetings. There's a lot of ways that we can connect in this new world, new economy. So if you want to set up a time, just reach out through investtalk.com or give our office of call, that number is 800-557-5461. Now, my focus point today concerns the story. One fascinating chart demonstrates the link between commodity prices and populism. This is an equity analyst that thinks that these super low interest rates and bond buying and aggressive fiscal policy will lead to a surge in inflation. But it may take longer than you expect. And I'll give my two cents of whether I agree with him or not. Also, different states are starting to wake up to the retirement crisis that we have in this country and implementing laws that encourage people to save more and put their citizens on a better financial footing longer term. So we're going to discuss that. Also, the PPP, quote unquote, I love how they call them loans because the Almost almost all of them become forgiven, which means they're free money to whoever gets it. Uh, But that bill has been extended. I'm going to talk about the changes to it and what that might mean for individual companies and the economy as a whole. And then the Treasury has issued new guidance in regards to the CARES Act and treatment of 401K withdrawals, IRA withdrawals, distributions, etc. So if we have time, we'll get to that as well. But ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. So give us a call 889 chart 88992-4278. So you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's take a quick look at the market today. S and P was down about eighteen points. You have the Nasdaq up about fifty five points. Once again. Tech, you know, it's in its own little stratosphere here. Uh, the underlying economy definitely remains weak. You have industrials that were down about 3 2.5% today. You had financials that were down about 2% today. Uh, even utilities. Utilities were down about a percent and a half today. So overall, it's an environment where, you know, your bread and butter businesses they're they're not doing so hot. And the ones that are growth-focused, tech-focused, you're getting multiple expansion. Most of those aren't having an acceleration of earnings. They're just getting multiple expansion based on uh, low interest rates and, and obviously a lot of speculative fervor for those exciting names. So really no change on that at the moment. Now, as regular listeners know, actually, we're going to go to a break. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. The summer is well underway, and no doubt people across the country want to get back to what they consider normal. When are we going to get back into high gear, and when will the economy get back into high gear? And how are you prepared for market swings that are likely to continue? We'll talk about all this, and your participation is as important as ever. So we're taking your calls live at 99 chart.
2: it's an invest talk thursday justin klein is on duty and he's happy to provide unbiased answers but you've got to call with your questions invest talk 888-99-CHART so
1: to carl in oceanside looking at ssrm which is a gold miner how you doing, carl
0: I bought five hundred shares at twenty-two.
1: What can you tell me about the company? Well, uh, SSR Mining is a Vancouver, Canadian company, and this is one of the best production growers uh, in the space. Definitely on my buy list. Uh, we have not bought it for clients, but it's probably my top ten. Uh, But I I like it. I definitely like the name. It has good momentum just with the overall uh, precious metal space as a whole. And I like the fact that they do have uh, some silver exposure there as well. So you're exposed to uh, both silver and gold as well. So I I, I like uh, SSRM. Definitely in my top ten of miners out there currently. Thanks for the call, Carl. I was SSR, mining, SSRM. Now, my focus point today concerns a story one fascinating chart demonstrates the link between commodity prices and populism. And, you know, I've been talking about this for a while, you know, with super low interest rates, the Fed basically monetizing the debt indirectly. I don't know why they still do that. I don't know if you know the process, but basically what happens is the treasury issues treasuries, <laughs> say that, and the through banks through primary dealers, and then the Fed goes and buys those treasuries. But the primary dealers, the banks are getting a fee for that transaction. Why don't you just go directly from the Fed, the treasury to the Fed, have the Fed it, Crazy to me. But anyway, that's what's happening right now. And the worry is that it will lead to a surge in inflation. And that's certainly, that certainly is the case, uh, if that new money is put to work in the actual economy. Now, before the reason we didn't get inflation before is because it sat on banks' balance sheets. The only way that that monetization, that money printing, that QE before was pushing inflation was because was was it was a it was enabling governments to continue to spend right we have had a deficit we had deficit for, for some time now the deficit is so extreme that the fed is having to step in even more and the m2 growth is becoming much much higher we're in the mid 20s in the 70s we were in the in the mid teens uh so it's definitely much much higher than it was uh in the 70s and the big question is, when will inflation hit? Now, I've talked about uh, Chapman University study that typically takes about eight to nine quarters before that inflation really starts to feed into the economy. Now, that's without COVID, right? Without these protocols that I kind of talked about at the top of the show. Well, this analyst says he thinks it's going to take decades and decades to play out, and that populism will continue to rise and it typically rises when as commodity prices continue to go up you know and and i can definitely see that i can definitely see that now commodity prices rose over 10 the 10 years before 2008 and they've been falling for 12 so we haven't seen this commodity inflation but we also know that whether it's trump or a democrat that's in office they're all likely to spend both of them are fiscal populace it's just a matter of where they spend and so this is definitely going to be a theme of the 2020s and this analyst thinks might be into up to 2040 hard to know but i thought that was interesting you can read the article over at investtalk.com you're listening to Invest Talk? I'm ready to take your calls right now, live at 888 99 Chart.
2: You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. Eight 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 ninety nine chart.
1: Let's go to John in Santa Cruz looking at Exelon Corp.
0: Hi, Justin. Yes, I'm looking at this stock for the dividend and for some appreciation, perhaps, um, but something that's stable and uh, has some growth in it. I wonder what you think.
1: Okay. Well, this is uh, Exelon Corp, and this they're out of Chicago, Illinois, but they're engaged in, gener- in generation distribution of electricity to 10 million customers in Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Illinois. 4.2% yield. Earnings are supposed to fall 8% this year, but uh, be flat basically next year. $35 billion market cap. Modest amount of debt. Uh, not, not too bad, to be honest with you. Their problem here is growth. Uh, you know, it's definitely not a grower. It's not in a region that's typically uh, a big growth market, right? Typically, you're talking about uh, more southern states that where more people are moving. Uh, so that growth is, is kind of the issue here. But I think that 4.2% yield is pretty safe, uh to be honest with you. The pair ratio is 55%. So I think you're fine there. Uh, and it's relatively cheap. Enterprise value to EBITDA is about seven, uh, which long-term, you know, it's kind of at where it typically trades long-term uh, from a valuation standpoint. So I would say it's not um, super undervalued, but not crazy overvalued either. Uh, it's about valued, but you're going to get that nice 4.3% uh, yield. And, over the long term, I think you'll do fairly well with it. So I like it if you're just after that yield, because I think that yield will be sustainable. Great, great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call, John. 88899 chart, 889924278. In fact, it looks like they just raised their dividend too. Uh, wait, early, early this year, late last year. So that's nice as well. Thanks for the call, John. Let's touch on. There we go. States, the fact that states are now taking the retirement crisis seriously. And this is an important change. Why? Because according to the National Institute of Retirement Security, 59% of working age people, 59. Now there's about 200 million working age people in America. So this means about 120 million of those don't have any money in a retirement account, and aren't covered by a some sort of defined benefit pension plan as well. And those who do have a retirement account, most have balances smaller than your annual income. So what are the states doing? Well, the federal government's not tackling this crisis. They're relying really on Social Security. But 10 states have now passed legislation creating programs designed to get more people enrolled in these retirement plans. And a majority of the states are considering similar programs. Well, what's happened so far? Colorado is one of uh, the most recent. And they say about 40% of private sector workers in Colorado don't have any employer-sponsored retirement plan. And the way they see it is that If people enter retirement without some sort of or enough savings, well, what are they going to do? They're going to take Social Security early, which means their amount they're getting every month is a lot lower, and they're going to fall into the low-income area, and their government, the Colorado government, is going to have to pick up the slack, right? So they don't want to have that happen. They want their citizens to go into retirement with a healthy nest egg, maybe pushing off uh, Social Security, which you should until that full retirement age if you can. And so it makes sense for them from an ROI standpoint to push more people into this. Well, what, what are the plans? Well, first what they're doing is an auto IRA, which basically means employers automatically enroll employees and set up payroll deductions. But employers must offer this plan. Either something state administered or something similar. Now employees can opt out but they have to explicitly ask that and most employees don't. They like that. Now, this doesn't put any bur- much burden on the employer because they don't have to match like a 401k. But at least they're setting giving them some option. right, And the, the, the biggest thing about 401Ks is the automatic contributions, and this is kind of what they're setting up. Now, in Washington and New Mexico, they're offering retirement marketplace, which uh, uses private sector providers, similar to a 401K, uh, to set up these retirement accounts. Massachusetts and Vermont, they're opting to make it easier for companies to join multi-employer plans. These are big as well, where uh, you know small companies joining one particular 401k or starting their own 401k, that can be kind of expensive. But if you can join a bunch of companies, it lowers your costs overall, and the fees come down when the number of participants go up. So these are some of the ways that states are addressing this, and I think you're going to see this more and more and more, which is definitely a good thing for everyone's financial security. And hopefully, if you don't have a, a, a some sort of, employer sponsor plan, hopefully this will get you moving or maybe people you know. Now, the next and best talk, the number one rule on how to prioritize your bills. Understanding and ranking three categories of debt can help you efficiently handle expenses. Steve will get to that story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart
2: You are listening to Invest Talk. Summer is well underway. As we move through the hot months of July and August, you might want to be sure that your investment portfolio is balanced. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein can provide unbiased advice, but you've got to call with your questions. Invest Talk, 888
1: 99 Chart. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I have a question about. Potential of the stock market going down in a general sense and things such as Amazon, DocuSign, Shopify and these kind of solid internet stocks, are they a safe bet just to keep all my money in or should I just withdraw everything and then maybe buy again once the stock market has hit a lower, um, going through its down peak and then repurchase?
2: Thanks so much for your advice. I really appreciate it, and love your show. Thank you. Bye.
1: Well, the the internet stocks right now are in a, in a speculative fervor. Uh, you know, there's a lot of positive sentiment around these names, and 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 frankly, their businesses will do better uh, than a lot of right, other other companies in this uh, this economy. But does that? Does that justify the valuations that many of them are trading at? Probably not for the most part. And when the stock, when the market, you know, has its next fall, which there will inevitably be one, these stocks tend to be, uh, much more, more volatile. Uh, there's typically weaker hands, right? When you have speculative fervor, it means if start, things start going down, uh, there's a lot of people to jump ship. Right. Before they lose more money or, you know, get out with a profit, uh, take profits faster. There's, they're weaker hands. So the volatility is likely to be much, much higher. Now, when do they finally peak out? It's very hard to say, but, uh, typically has to do with liquidity conditions in the marketplace. Uh, Interest rates, if interest rates rise, certainly that's going to be uh, very, very detrimental to a lot of the names. Uh, so I wouldn't say they're safe in any way. Uh, you know, If you're a long-term investor, you might feel like they're safe, uh, but you really need to understand that there's going to be a lot of volatility. And it sounds like that is what you are more concerned about. So yeah, I wouldn't say they are safe names to be hiding out, especially with the recent charts. They're very parabolic in parabolic moves turn into a rough charts uh, once that peaks out. Uh, when that'll happen once again, hard to know. Let's go to Monica in San Francisco looking at NVIDIA.
0: Hi, Justin. Um, I'm just curious, so what you think about NVIDIA? Is it overpriced? Is it, what's a good place to get in?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, NVIDIA is definitely over overpriced. Uh, you know, if we're talking about... Earnings next year are projected to be less than ten dollars a share so we can give you it, uh 987 uh, so let's call it 10 you're at a 42 PE uh, it checks uh, chip stocks are n- uh, notoriously very volatile from a profitability standpoint uh, they're very sensitive to the economy as people when the economy goes down people buy less things especially in today's world where uh, there's there's chips in almost everything uh, now Nvidia is a the, the, the thought process behind NVIDIA is more, to me, longer term, that uh, they are the leader in these graphic chips that are more important to AI, uh, more important to our graphic heavy usage of gaming and now with Zoom, et cetera. So th- those, those are kind of the the broader, the, the broader implications of longer term trends for NVIDIA. Now, does that mean that they, Nvidia will go, won't go down if, uh, tech stocks peak out? I think absolutely. Nvidia can go down spectacularly. You just look back to, uh, 2018 when, you know, we had liquidity tightening. Remember the fourth quarter of 2018? Liquidity is tightening. Mm -hmm. And if the Fed tightens liquidity Mm -hmm. again, you're going to have a similar drop in a lot of these names. Nvidia went, then went from 280 to call it 290 all the way down to a buck 28, buck 30. So, There's absolutely, if liquidity dries up, that is the type of scenario that you're looking at. So, you know, I like NVIDIA long term, but I would be wanting to pick that up closer to the 200 week moving average, which is right now around 200 bucks. Now it's at 420. So it's very extended, very overbought. Uh, So, if you're looking to be a long term investor, you're going to be able to. If you're going to buy it now, you're going to be able to handle the ride. Uh, but I think you'll definitely have a better buying opportunity in the next uh, year or so.
0: Okay. Thanks. Thanks,
1: thanks for the call, Monica. 8899 chart 8992-4278. is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's touch on the PPP, the Payroll Protection. Program, which is turned to morph into a little bit different of a process. Now they passed the Congress passed this legislation, which extended the deadline for submitting applications for the PPP, which Trump signed into law on July 4th. Now small business owners now have until August 8th to apply for these loans. So that's been that's been extended. Previously, it deadline was July or June 30th. So uh, the reason it was extended is because about 130 billion of the 670 billion set aside for it remains unclaimed. Part of that has to do with uh, companies giving it back. You know, there wasn't a lot of oversight here originally. You've seen that. Uh, a lot of the vast majority of the companies that got the money, which remember, it's, they say it's a PPP loan, but this is forgiven and the vast majority are forgiven because it it, only to go get over that hurdle to get these loans forgiven isn't really that hard. Originally you had to keep 75% of your payroll. Now it's going to be dropped to 60%. And before what how it worked was and it's still that way is that this was run through banks, right? Now banks they have clients. A lot of their clients are the ones applying for the PPP loans. Are you going to give your these, these loans, quote unquote loans, let's just say money. I'm going to say this is PPP free money. It's really what it is. Uh, that was printed by the treasury, or sorry, was printed by the Fed, given out by the treasury. Okay. So this was originally given typically to the biggest clients, right? Those banks wanted to curry favor with their biggest clients. They don't want their clients leaving. And those are typically people with the most money or the companies with the most money, excuse me. And so most of the people, most of the companies, keep saying people, but companies didn't really need the money. Some of them did, absolutely. But majority did not really need the money. If you look at the disclosures, that's kind of what happened. This was free money to businesses that didn't really need the money for the most part. Now, before... Businesses that wanted to qualify for loan forgiveness only had eight weeks to spend the PPP money. Now they have 24 weeks, so even longer. And companies won't be penalized if workers who were offered their job back with the same hours but don't return, right? Maybe they're too afraid. Or maybe they're making more money on unemployment, which is something they're trying to change. So it's now easier for these loan forgivenesses, loan forgiveness to actually come to pass. So that's a positive, more free money for more businesses. They also, it was interesting, relaxed some rules regarding criminal records. Now, before the change, the look-back period was five years for non-financial crimes, embezzlement, fraud, and other financial misdeeds. So if you committed fraud over five years ago, you could still get... PPP money. Now, they've kind of closed that loophole here, but I'm sure there were a lot that did get that free money. Now, 5,500 lenders lenders were originating PPP loans, according to the SBA, but that seems like it's going to be dropping here a little bit. Uh, Only about a third are going to support it in this third round, and then lastly, Self-employed individuals can apply. They still can apply even if you don't have employees. You now, it's tied to your net profits for the business. So how much you can get depends on your profits previously. I thought it was interesting changes to that PPP. I don't want to call it loan, but free money program. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and Steve PZ will be here tomorrow with highlights from the newest KPP Premium Newsletter. Please tell your friends about our June bonus podcast called the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. Or Steve and I answer thirty questions at a quicker pace. Download is free, and you can get it on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or at InvestTalk.com. And uh, I think hopefully we'll be recording another July Rapid Fire Hour. So be on the lookout for that. But now I'm here, I'm ready to take your questions live at
2: 888-99-CHART. Talk is made possible by KPP Financial. InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial, and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about Parallel Investing and the other KPP financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Mike. I'm a longtime listener, and thank you guys for the show. I just wanted to know your opinion is now a good time to buy a house with interest rates so low? What do you guys think? Thanks for your help, and I'll listen for it on the podcast.
1: Well, in the near term, I continue to think that the tight supply will support the market in general. And, and when, when you say buy a house, that, that means a lot of things. I, this is what I always say about, uh, to, to clients when they're, they're trying to make that decision. People look at a house, especially if you look at real estate prices over the last 30, 40 years, and they look at it as an investment. And it's really not the way you should be looking at your primary residence. Your primary residence should be about your lifestyle, should be about how you want to live. Are you happy living in that house? Now, if it goes up in value, great. But if you're miserable or you're not that happy in a place that's going up in value, what does that do for you? Okay, So your, your utility of that home is far more important than timing the purchase. So what I say is, if you find a place that you truly love, that you feel would be a lifestyle Upgrade for you, and you can afford it. You've, you're confident that you can afford it, whether the interest rate's three percent or seven percent. It's all about that monthly payment, right? For most people, so if you feel you're confident in your job, you can afford it, then go for it. And I know it's enticing. I mean, I talked to my um, my guy, emailed or texted me today. It's getting 2.77 with zero points on a 30-year, 2.625 on a 20-year. So, you know, I understand the, the wants to take advantage of that. But my thing long-term with real estate is what will interest rates do? We've had 35, 40 years of interest rates falling, falling, falling. You're not going to have that over the next 30 years. Now, you might have inflation, which means income's going up. So, income's driving price, right? Because you can afford more because your income's going up. That might happen. But you're not going to get interest rates dropping 1,500 basis points. it's not going to happen. We're already at what 270 basis points so once again if you want to buy a house focus on the utility and the sustainability of that debt payment over time let's keep things moving here comes another caller question that came in from a listener in minnesota
2: hey guys my name is zach i am out of Minnesota. Uh, I have a question regarding ETF that I am uh, looking at, interested in uh, purchasing NOBL. I have kind of a diverse portfolio already, but looking to start investing into uh, some income generating or some value funds. Uh, Wondering about what your thoughts are
1: on ticker NOBL. Thank you. All right, this is the ProShares S&P 500 Dividend Aristocrats ETF, and Morningstar gives it three stars, silver rating, which is you know pretty solid. Uh, expense ratio is 0.35 percent. Yield is 2.32 percent. So you're not getting too much more than the S&P. Let's see what's the S&P overall yielding. That is yielding 2.0 or 1.85. So you're getting a little bit of a premium here. It's probably was that thirty percent more dividend? Uh, and the aristocrat index basically are companies that have been paying and consistently raising their dividend every year for over, I believe it's twenty years. I have to go back and look at the criteria, but that's basically what it is: is that you are consistently paying a dividend and raising it over time. So long term, I think that's great. If you are that type of company, then you can handle any economic cycle. And I like that. And you get broad diversification here. The the highest weighting in this is Lowe's at 1.96%. And so overall, if you're trying to just use ETFs, you don't want to pick individual names that are likely going to do better. right? I'm sure there's are ind- individual aristocrats. That's how we would do it. We would look at the aristocrat List which we do often and say, okay, which ones do we like longer term and buy those particular ones? This you're getting a broad swath, some may be over leveraged, some, some may have their own issues, some may be kicked from the index relatively soon. Uh, so but if you don't want to do that, you want to pick a solid ETF, this isn't terrible. This is Invest Best Talk. I'm Justin Klein, I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 99 Chart.
2: On the next Invest Talk, understanding and ranking three categories of debt can help you efficiently handle expenses. That story tomorrow. And now Justin Klein is here. He's happy to provide unbiased answers, but you've got to call Invest Talk. 888
1: 99 Chart. Hi, this is Randy calling from Minnesota. And my question is, could you go into Bitcoin a little bit? I totally don't understand it,
2: how it works, the ins and outs of Bitcoin. Just don't understand it. Thanks for your help. Great shows. Bye for now. All
1: right, I'll give a brief overview, hopefully, of Bitcoin so so everyone out there understands. Now, Bitcoin was... started with a white paper that was anonymously issued, I believe in 2009. And basically talked about a protocol uh with a a system called blockchain which is a a way to the ledger so the ledgers are spread out onto nodes nodes could just simply be on a server anywhere right and and the 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 blockchain will confirm with the other nodes all over the world and basically assures that The chain, the blockchain stays intact, that it's, you can't hack it because you can't hack all these computers at once in order to change the block. That's basically blockchain. That's the underlying technology. Now there's some complexities to that, but hopefully I describe that in basic terms. Now, what it also did is limits the supply. This was to counter the, the money printing, uh, the, the poor decisions out of global central banks, you know, starting with the EC, the, the Bank of Japan, then it went to the ECB, now the Fed. So all the central banks kind of are in this process of just printing a lot of money and Bitcoin is there to try to counter that. And eventually there will be, A finite amount. I believe it's 2024 is when the last Bitcoin will be mined. Mining is a more complex thing. I don't want to kind of go into that. But basically, the supply eventually of Bitcoin will be completely limited. Now, the thought process is that this could, this will be used to transact as opposed to dollars or yen or euros. And, I think there's some merit to this, but there are some technological issues. One thing is the power that it takes to sustain a blockchain. That is very high. There were the th- things called forks. It gets complex. Okay. But there, I believe is some merit to this, even though there are some technological challenges. You can't do the amount of transactions, but they, Idea is that is what is called the base layer. So the base layer is kind of like saying it's gold, right? They say Bitcoin is digital gold, right? The reason gold has a history of being money over hundreds and thousands of years is because there's limited supply, whereas any fiat currency in history has always been abused. As soon as governments can create money out of thin air, well, they tend to do that and use excuses to do it. Whether that's to go to war, to enrich themselves, whatever it is, you're seeing that today across the world. And so Bitcoin is kind of like the digital gold, hopefully to limit the supply and therefore limit the government's power to make bad decisions. I sort, I kind of like I like gold better because it has more history. Uh, there's less technological problems with it. Uh, I think one day you go back to a gold standard. But could it be gold, Bitcoin? We know we're gonna have a lot of change here in the 2020s. Could it be Bitcoin? Sure, it could be in some way. Um, but I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. I think we can squeeze one more caller question in at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
2: Hi, my name is David. I'm calling from New York. I would like to know, U-O-N-E, urban one, is it a good stock to invest in for short-term or long-term?
1: U-O-N-E, I have never heard of this name, but it did go up a bunch recently. Engaged in radio broadcasting targeting the Afro African-American community through 60 stations located in 15 urban markets. I I don't know <laughs> uh, technically interesting hmm I don't know why it exploded that's my question is why did this explode on June 15th I need to go into that charts pullback it looks relatively bullish on this pullback uh, but I need to know what that catalyst is and whether that's hype or reality I wouldn't buy it I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I will return Monday. Tomorrow, Steve Pizzo will be here to share highlights for the latest KPP Premium newsletter. And in the meantime, please remember to download our new June Rapid Fire Hour Bonus Podcast. It is free. You can get it right now. Independent Thinking, Shared Success. This is Invest Talk.